Gus and Gore, and sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> It is a brand new year on my bloody podcast. Yes, it is. It's 2019, episode 33, our first podcast of the new year. I'm Brian Kluger, and I am joined by the newest smelling man, the the newest horror maestro of 2019, Mr. Preston Barta. Happy New Year, my good sir. Yes, very fresh smelling. I got some new body wash from my parents. It was in my stocking this year, so new smell. Are they trying to tell you something? Do you smell bad? Because you always smell per- good to me. Perhaps. I don't know. I have a I have a kid, and <laughs> ki- kids can uh, do some nasty things. That's very true. Very true. Some horrific things. Um, yeah, this is our our brand our 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 first show of the new year, and we have a lot of stuff planned for this podcast this year. Uh, we will fill you in on that when it comes available when we can announce it. But uh, we have a lot of fun stuff going on here, and uh, we're just I'm just real excited about it. Uh, Preston, are you excited about this year for us? I am. I think uh, there's a. You know, this time of the year, um, we start putting together our, like, most anticipated of the year list, and we're going over the films that we're excited for, and then we start speculating about, like, what films may play at some of the film festivals that we go to. It's just exciting. It is. It is. Um so yeah, what what what? So the last couple of of shows we've done, we've done very Christmassy movies, and uh, yeah. and this is the new year. We don't. There is some New Year's horror movies, but we're not going to do that. But we're going to start out our first show of 2019 on my bloody podcast uh, with one of my favorite movies from the 80s, uh, a movie called Critters, which I just love. Billy Zane's in it, D. Wallace Stone's in it, Lynn Shay's in it. Just so many good people are in it. Um, and we're gonna t- that's our main event today but before that there's gonna be intro there's there's gonna be uh movie news we've already done introductions there's a, we have a bloody question we're gonna talk about a couple movies that have already been released this year um and of course our bloody recommendations it's going to be super fun uh before we get into the news let's talk about uh horror, the first horror movie of the year which i believe was escape room um, I don't. I didn't see it. Preston, did you see it? I still haven't seen it yet. I've I've heard mixed things from friends, but uh, but overall, they've been pretty surprised by it for it being the first movie of the year, a January horror film, January movie in general. Um, it was not on my radar at all, but then uh, it's probably gonna have to be one that I check out on home video. For sure. I mean, I want I want to see it, and you know, escape room like the escape rooms we see so much today. But it's a it's a PG thirteen horror movie in the vein mm-hmm. of probably Cube and Saw, which I don't know how PG thirteen you can go with that. I just know I've heard people like didn't like the ending at all, but it set it up for future films. Uh, and then I don't I don't know. I'm just. I'm going to see it anyway, but I know that was like pretty much the first movie of 2019 was Escape Room. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, the first movie that I've seen this year is a dog way, a dog's way home, which is far from being a horror movie. Even though there are some, uh, I, this it's probably bizarre that I'm bringing this movie up on this podcast, but there are there's been some reviews that have come out, and some of the headlines have said uh, darker than than anticipated because there are a lot of dark moments in it. But that's that's how I started my year. Oddly enough, not with escape room, but with a dog ways home. <laughs> so is it like very bad things, but with a dog? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a survival story of a dog trying to get home. So like homeward bound, that sort of thing. Uh, incredible journey. Um, but not as happy. Uh, I mean, there, there's, I think that's what was so surprising to me about the movie is that there's these, all these dark elements in it, uh, like social topics that kind of come up, um, that can be spoiled very easily. But, uh, there's a lot of Bambi Dumbo type moments in it. Like, uh, maybe the dog has family members or, uh, makes some friends along the way and then some die or the parents die. So, uh, just was not expecting. Uh, so I, it's kind of confusing to gauge like what, who this movie is for because when I was watching it, I was like, are kids really gonna love this kind of film? Um, I mean, the narration kind of helps because if they just took out the narration entirely, I could see it just being a very depressing movie, but I guess it kind of helps that the title of the movie gives away like what happens like it's a dog's way home like so you can expect the dog will be home and um <laughs> if you've seen the trailer you've seen like the entire entire movie which sucks. but uh they're, they're they're hoping that people will see it just to for the journey itself and just was not expecting that the journey to be like that so and you got to interview it. the actual dog right <laughs> uh, so I was the first interview to do just audio. So I got to meet the dog, uh, whose name is Shelby. Uh, it's a beautiful dog. Reminded me so much of, um, my own dog who, um, she's a rescue. And so was this dog. This, the, if you read into the story that, man, this is a really long, long sidebar moment. Um, if you read into the story of this, uh, Shelby, the dog, like she was a junkyard, uh, stray dog and they just found her and turned her into a movie star. But, um, I, I just got to meet her, took a picture with her. Um, and then I interviewed, uh, the author of the book who also wrote the screenplay for the film with, uh, his wife. So I talked to both of them about that and I talked to them about the dark elements of the film. So it was, it was a fun conversation. Cool, cool, cool. Well, it, it's it sounds like the dog needs to do escape room too. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the big star. But uh, let, let's let's talk about. So there's a new trailer that's coming out, and I think it's from Netflix. And yes, I've heard from people that like don't fucking watch the trailer, don't do it. And it's called Velvet Buzzsaw. And I've heard from several people like don't fucking watch the trailer. And it's right. a new Even I said that. Yes. You you said that. Uh a few of other people have told me like don't watch the trailer. And it is a movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh and it's about Green. like yeah. It's an art piece. Like he's he's an art guy. What, what is Velvet? Because Velvet Buzzsaw is a damn cool title. But tell what's this movie? 
So it's uh, directed by Dan Gilroy, who did Nightcrawler. And uh, I, I want to say Nightcrawler was one of the best movies of that year, and Jake Gyllenhaal deserved an Oscar for that. Yes, I, I completely agree. So this one kind of seems like it's a really good companion piece uh, with that film because kind of like Jordan Peele, how he's making these uh, films that you know also kind of deal with social topics, but cause us to like look at ourselves in a different in a different way, kind of recognize things through uh, the lens of a different genre, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, Nightcrawler dealing with um, you know will go to great lengths to kind of sh- to for, for you know we're greedy people we're humans are, are are greedy and um you know the the idea of us seeing these like horrific images people getting killed and then going in there to get the image to get paid so really shitty thing and so this one kind of deals with the same type of stuff where uh jake gyllenhaal yeah it has jake gyllenhaal renee russo who both were in nightcrawler together uh, it's got John Malkovich and Tony Collette, uh, David Diggs, who was in uh, Blind Spotting, one of my favorite movies from 2018, and uh, Natalia Dyer from uh, Stranger Things. Um, so really good cast, but yeah, it deals with uh, all these employees who work at like an art gallery, and um, like Jake Gyllenhaal's like looking at this art piece and. Uh, or all these art pieces, his all the pieces that he has in this art gallery, and they're not. He's frustrated that there's not a lot of originality to it. He doesn't. the The business doesn't seem to be doing too well, and so he wants something. They're 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 desperately looking for something that has that that spark to kind of get them going again. And so, in comes uh, all these art, all these really cool art pieces, uh, which kind of, they come from a, somebody who recently passed away. One of the employees, I guess, lives next door to this old man or something like that. And this old man did not have any relatives, uh, known relatives to where like they, they would be able to, uh, you know, reap all the benefits, take the money that they could potentially make off these art pieces. And so they take it for themselves and they sell it, make lots of money off of it. And then this is when the horror aspect begins to come into play as um, <clears throat> uh, the images begin to move. Uh, some of the paintings were uh, made with blood, like human blood. And um, it's uh, causing everybody to go crazy and do crazy shit. So, um, yeah, there's, it's a really cool trailer. It's just, um, it has to sell the chaos of the story. And so because of that, you get to see like what people in the film get hurt or die. (laughs) And so that's what makes me say, like, do not watch the trailer, but I watched it and I don't, I don't know. I, uh, there's some times where I can watch a movie or watch a trailer and be like, Oh no, no, um, I need to shut it off right now. But I just kept watching it. So I, I, it just depends for me. Um, there's like some movies that I'm really excited for where I don't want to watch a trailer at all. And then there's ones, uh, where I may already know the outcome of the story, 
but I'm still in for it. Kind of like a dog's way home, I guess. Um, <laughs> it all comes back to that. Yeah. The, the movie looks badass, is what it looks like. Yes. And I'm, I'm like, I'm all in on this. Yeah, sure. it, it's funny because I wrote my uh, top 10 most anticipated films of 2019. And if I had saw this trailer, because I, I always try to make a point to look at all the directors. Uh, that I really like or films that I've really liked recently and try to see what else they're putting out. And I just somehow miss this one, which is crazy to me because I'm a big Jake Gyllenhaal fan and I usually try to look over everything that he does. And, uh, and this, and, uh, Velvet Buzzsaw is also playing at Sundance, uh, later this month in January. So, just kind of crazy how I missed it, but if I had seen the trailer a little before and known about it, it definitely would have been on my list. Cool, cool, cool. So yeah, if we we don't recommend watching the trailer, well, we do because it's going to be an awesome movie. But just know that you're going to see a lot that you might want to just see on a first time when you watch the whole movie when it's released, and it's a Netflix movie, right? Yes, uh, it's coming out February first on Netflix. Going to be awesome. Uh, another another movie that we're real excited about uh, is from A twenty four. It's called The Hole in the Ground, uh, and it's uh, an Irish film. And it's like I guess supposedly in the same vein as um, the Babadook, where a mother and her young son move to a new home in the countryside, and then there's a giant sinkhole next to them. One night, the little kid uh, disappears but returns, and he seems normal, but then he just becomes insane, like starts doing some really weird shit, and the movie looks movie looks cool. What do you think? Yeah, um, I'm always uh, – I've mentioned it on here before – um, always apprehensive about a 24 films when they're direct TV exclusives. Um, but I, I think this would be a hard movie to kind of sell and put out in theaters. I just don't think it would do very well. So it's kind of like a 24 having their own like little Netflix, so to speak, just putting it out there. But a lot of the times that I've, uh, made the decision to watch a, a24 direct tv exclusive they haven't been very good you can just kind of see that uh they almost like oh well we can you know they go to a film festival or something and then they they pay top dollar for those ones that uh would get them a lot of awards consideration and then the other ones they're like well we could be it could be cheap but we might be able to make a little bit of money off of it and this one kind of seems like that i think it'll be fine but it, it also is dealing with a lot of tired uh, material, um, of, you know, like a, a kid going off and then being completely changed. And then, uh, kind of, kind of like, uh, I don't know, invasion of the body snatchers or something like that, you know, even though it doesn't have a kid, but, um, just, uh, it, it just seems like pretty tired to me. So I'm not super excited about it, but, um, there could be some, there's some shots in the film that I think could be effective and thrilling. So willing to give it a chance, but doesn't have immediately, doesn't re- immediately grab my attention. Yeah. Well, we'll see when it comes out. I, I hear you on like, okay, we've seen this thing before. How is it going to be different? But let's, yeah. we'll, we'll see. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see like what sorts of things this kid does. And also like what's, if they're going to answer like what the hell this Sarlacc pit sinkhole thing is. 
<laughs> God damn, I hope it's a prequel to Sarlacc Pit. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one that just became that we've been talking about for a long time and very highly anticipated is we got a poster and a new teaser for the What We Do in the Shadows TV show, which we're all looking forward to. Uh, I'm just glad we're getting more hours of this, don't you? Yes, I agree. Yeah, uh, the only teaser that I've seen at the moment, I think, um, but they're they're probably going to be putting out more. And I don't know if there's a set release date yet. Um, I could be having it confused with other FX material that's coming out. Um, there's there's one FX show that's coming out that has Sam Rockwell in it that I had no idea was coming out. But so, so it may be coming out in March or probably later this year. But um, the teaser is just, uh, a new set of characters that are vampires that are sitting around, uh, singing happy birthday. And the main vampire is blowing out, trying to blow out the candles and he catches himself on fire. So just a, a, a little sight gag, um, that, that, uh, it kind of, goes along with uh some of the funny gags that we see in the movie um that taika watiti and jermaine clemens did and so i am completely on board for this uh that movie as we talked about on this podcast and even had uh um uh what episode was it i think it was the 30th episode for and in the apocalypse we had oh, yes, her on yes. and she was talking about how that was one of her favorite horror films. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we love, we love that, that movie. And, um, we're happy that they're putting out more material in that universe. For sure. For sure. We're looking forward to it and we'll have more on that at a later time when they release more. And then, um, the shutter, if you don't have shutter, it's yeah. an all horror, uh, movie network, TV show network. Uh, you can download the app, pay for it monthly, but they have a new uh, – their first original documentary uh, called Horror Noir. Uh, so I don't know anything about this. What is this? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, so it's just a documentary where they have some of the best um, actors and filmmakers that you would recognize from um, – you know, they have Tony Todd on there, uh, Jordan Peele. Um, some of the, I, can't, I don't remember their names, but there, there are a lot of film historians and filmmakers that have popped up on some of the bonus material, uh, that I've watched for like Scream Factory, like, uh, Candyman had some of these, uh, film historians and filmmakers on there. Uh, just kind of talking about the history of African Americans in, um, horror films and how they've gone from, being uh portrayed as i guess being portrayed by white people you know with blackface and then going to uh characters who are you know put in this box of being the characters who always die in horror films first and then uh with movies like you know get out most recently like turn turning that on its head and making it where uh, they're they're the heroes of the story and not the ones who are just sidelined or killed off first. And so I think it would be a fascinating uh, delve into 
the history of black people in horror films and just to kind of see what people think about it and how we've changed and where we could go further. And so, um, it's, it's a talking heads documentary, except they're like sitting in a movie theater and, um, it's just kind of, it, it just seems like a fun little hangout where we're just getting people's opinions. Uh, uh what's his name? The, the guy from the thing and, uh, not, from not, some about Mary. Oh, uh, oh yes. Yes. Keith David. Yeah. Keith David. So he's on there and he was just like cracking me up with some of these lines that he was saying. So I think it'll just be a, a fun, uh, documentary. So I think it's a nice one, uh, a great first one for shutter to start off with. Nah, and I'm so, excited about this. I want to see this now. Yeah. So it comes out, uh, later this in the spring. I think it's, it might be March, I believe. Okay. No, I'm in, I want to see it. I mean, I want to see it. Uh, we also, so if you're, if you're a fan of the Babadook, I know we both are. We saw that at Fantastic Fest, I think together, didn't we? Yes. And it just blew our mind. Love the movie, the Babadook. Uh, that director, Jennifer Kent, who is badass. She has a new movie called The Nightingale. Uh, and IFC just got the rights to it in The Nightingale, her new film from the Babadook. Uh, it sounds like a big hardcore I spit on your grave revenge flick, but set in the 1800s where a female convict uh, starts to like get revenge for somebody who killed her family viciously. So, I mean, this ha- I-, I can't wait to see this. I love Jennifer Kent. Uh, can't wait to see what she does. Uh, for yeah, me too. So. I get did I do did I explain that right? Because I feel like I did. Yeah, uh, from my understanding, I haven't done. I, I know we've talked about it on here before when we first heard that it was in the making or or that yeah that it was in production. And so, um, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if it popped up at South by Southwest uh, after playing at Sundance uh, later this month too. Uh, that's been some of the. I'm, I'm thinking that let's see, what was it Velvet Buzzsaw? This film, and uh, yeah, I guess I thought I guess that's it. I thought I thought there were more, but those are the only two that are playing at Sundance. But uh, yeah, um, I'm excited. I, I like I like the Babadook, and so I think, um, or I guess anything that this director puts out, I'm I'm excited for just to kind of see um, what she does with this uh, this storyline because. It also is something that has been kind of done to death, but um, so have haunted house films that haven't seemed to really change right, that much over time. But they, it all, the devil's in the details. And so I think. Um, yeah, but with she Nightingale, could, she's like going to the 1800s and it's a. Yeah, yeah. Know, that, that's her changing uh, the. the or put, putting the dice in the Aussie cup and shaking it and seeing what lands. And so, yeah. Yeah, I like this. Uh, I'm excited. And when, so you mentioned South by Southwest, which yeah. is coming up in March. So big new horror films coming out is going to open the festival, which is badass. A horror film opening up one of the biggest movie festivals. Uh, Us, Jordan Peele's Us, which we've talked about and we can't wait. And holy yeah. shit, this is amazing. You're going, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So me, uh, James Cole Clay, and then one of our good friends, Chance Maggard, who films some of our interviews and films stuff for us and writes for us. So, uh, yeah, I'm ex- I'm super excited. Um, I think it was like two years ago. I didn't have the best time just because I guess the, mat- the the movies that were there were not very good. 
And um, we just tried to fit in all these movies as, as much movies as we could. And uh, now we've kind of done it to where we go see a few movies a day and then we go have fun. And so uh, right now, after last year, we just have a good time just kind of hanging out, being in that space. And so it's, it's in comparison to uh, Fantastic Fest, which is all in like one location. This one's a little more spread out. Um, but it's so open to where, uh, you could just run into anybody on the street. Like last year we saw Paul Thomas Anderson walking on the street and Michael Bay. And, uh, so it's just, (laughs) dude, me, me and Cole bring up, uh, that Michael Bay, seeing Michael Bay, cause we were just looking for a parking spot on second street in Austin. And he was just, he was just there on the corner by himself. And I was like, that guy looks just like Michael Bay. Holy shit, that is Michael Bay. So he was, he was there supporting uh, uh, John Krasinski for A Quiet Place, and so uh, that's nice of him. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, badass. Yeah, Hopefully, that, that, we'll see him again. That's what's exciting. <laughs> uh, that's great. So yeah, us is gonna open up. So with South by uh, other horror films, maybe, do you think Rob Zombie's new um, Devil's Rejects movie will play there, like at a midnight show? Uh, that would be cool. Um, I, I, I've been listening to uh, a lot of podcasts lately. Uh, lately. Uh, there's a great podcast called Halloweenies where they uh, dive into all the, horror, uh, all the Halloween films. And so right now, the the last one that I've been listening to is when they cover Halloween, Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween and Halloween 2. And so they've been talking a lot about uh, Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses and some of the other films that he's done. And uh, they've briefly mentioned uh, this one and how they hope that this one is a little bit of a a return to form for him and like how um, Lords of Salem and uh, Devil's Rejects is um, just bringing different techniques to the film and not trying to redo stuff that he's uh, done before. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always willing to give Rob Zombie a chance, and I think it would be great if uh, it made its debut at South by. That would be badass. Is there any other horror movie that you think will be there or hope to be there at least? I don't know. Um, I most of the midnight films that have been at South by we've had, we haven't had the best luck with, um, especially over the past couple of years where our fascination with horror film has kind of grown. Uh, there's been a lot of times where we initially set out to go see a certain movie at midnight and then end up not going and then find out later that it was complete shit. So I'm not saying that, uh, they're terrible, like South by is terrible at programming midnight films, but, um, but they're terrible at programming. Midnight <laughs> <films>. <laughs> um, it, it just could be the timing of the year. Um, some of the, the best ones that we've seen have been at fantastic fest. And so that's just, uh, it's, it's nice to go see horror movies close around Halloween and in the fall setting. And so, um, we're we're optimistic, but um, <clears throat> we're we're hoping that some cool ones will pop up. But I haven't seen anything that's kind of stuck out to me, uh, or at least that's coming out in this part of the 
the early half of the year that could potentially play there. But as you'll know, with a film festival, sometimes you'll see something uh, one year ahead of time. Like we saw raw fantastic fest and it came out a year later or it follows. And so, uh, but the guest, one of my favorite horror films that, uh, my wife was on the podcast with us earlier, um, uh, in 2018. And so, um, that played at South by, so you never know, there could be one really good one and then some really bad ones. So you never know, but I'm always excited to see what the announcements will be and then dive into, uh, Oh, what, what talents attached and what directors are doing it and, uh, what's the storyline. So don't, so they're just, uh, bringing the unknown into the known. And so, I'm excited. Me too. Me too. I, I want to see it. I won't be there, but fuck it. I'll read about it. Um, so there's a new Netflix series coming out called Shadow and Bone. Is this yeah. uh, is this one to look out for? Uh, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's going to be uh, written and executive produced by Eric uh, Herser, uh, and he did Arrival, and then most recently on Netflix, Bird Box. Uh, which I still have not seen. Have you seen that Bird Box? I have seen Bird Box. What'd you think? It's it's okay. It's well made. It's just not that great. Like because you can I mean you compare it to, of course, uh, Quiet, Quiet, Place, Quiet Place. But there, there, there's just like a lot of moments where you you just like, oh, they dropped the ball. But then you keep going because it's interesting to watch. However, it just. It, it's not great, and people are just like fall in love with it. And it's, I just like I don't get it. I don't get it. So yeah, you, you need to see it for sure. Yeah, I plan to just because it just seems like a big. It's made a big cultural impact with you know people being stupid and putting blindfolds over themselves and doing those bird box challenges and things like that. But <laughs> um, so I, I just haven't seen it yet, just because I I watched uh, revisited a Quiet Place just recently, and I just want to savor that film and all its themes and ideas, and so um, wasn't quite ready to dive into Bird Box yet, but uh, I will eventually, just because as I said, a lot of people have brought it up and have been talking about it, so I just don't want to be behind, um, especially with something. Uh, like this coming up, I want to be up to date on Eric Herser's stuff. And so, um, yeah, Netflix is going to be working with him again and also producer Sean Levy, um, who did stranger things and among other directed films. But, uh, so this is going to be, it's adapted from, uh, some books, uh, called shadow and bone and also six of crows. And it's going to be a, a eight episode series. Um, the, the summary that they've given out that what, what the show could be about is a reads as follows. It's a, in a world cleaved in two by a massive barrier of perpetual darkness where an unnatural creatures, when, where unnatural creatures feast on human flesh, a young soldier uncovers a power that might finally unite her country. But as she struggles to hone her power, dangerous forces plot against her. Thugs, thieves, assassins, and saints are now at war, and it will take more than magic to survive. So uh, hitting at a lot of different things there, magic, darkness. Uh, so just have no idea what to expect. But uh, with those guys attached, um, Netflix, eight episodes, which I always like when it's 
uh, eight and not as we talked about with David Lowry, we like it when they don't wear out their welcome. And so we want it to be tight and interesting and not, uh, just one episode to serve the next and works on its own. And so, um, I'm, I am, uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be excited about this, about this one. So I'm excited about this one. <laughs> well, Stumbling there. Yeah, no, no, you're all good. You're all good. Uh, so that's Shadow and Bone. And then Al Pacino out of nowhere is coming out with a horror movie called The Hunt. Yeah, so uh, the hunt. Uh, it's it's a, it's going to be produced by Amazon. It's going to be it's a series, so it'll be ten episodes, which um, you know, kind of going against what I just said there about that Netflix uh, series. But um, it's but it has Jordan Peele behind it, and so that guy has been has had his hands in everything lately, and uh, especially after being the one who kind of got Black Klansman in motion, I I just. I'm just completely, I completely trust him. And so, uh, in the storyline for this particular series, uh, is very intriguing. It's got kind of like an inglorious bastards kind of feel. So it's about, uh, Nazi hunters who after, uh, world war two ended, uh, you know, the, the people who are the Nazis that are left who survived, they've, uh, escaped and they're out there in the world and so their their plan is to reteam and create a fourth Reich. And so uh, Al Pacino is going to be playing one of the Nazi hunters who tries to stop that from happening. And it also stars Logan Lerman, uh, and I like that that guy a lot. So I do. Too. Uh, so uh, yeah, very intrigued. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, I, Al Pacino. I. I'll see anything he's in, really, but I'm just glad he's still doing shit. Um, and then yeah. a little bit of music stuff. Uh, the Suspiria soundtrack, uh, you say B-side vinyl. Is there a different soundtrack that I'm not aware of other than the, the soundtrack that just came out from Tom York? Uh, so it's just like the tracks that didn't make it into the film. They're okay. like the lost tracks. Cool. And so there's not very many of them. I think there's like eight or ten or something like that. But uh, he put it out on vinyl exclusively i believe and then uh it's sold out really quickly so if you didn't get that then sucks but i'm sure it'll find its way did you get one uh, i didn't get one no i found out too late but um i don't even own uh suspiria uh the soundtrack that is pretty readily available uh yet but do you have that on vinyl yet so i have the original soundtrack but i do not have the new one from tom york yet but i've heard it mm. um and I, I'll, yeah, I'll get I've, it at some point but yeah i've seen it in a couple of stores i just haven't uh forked out the money to uh put it in my uh, vinyl player lately just because uh, i haven't really i i know you're a big huge uh vinyl guy and i have a lot of vinyl records but um finding time to do that especially with the child running around who likes to uh you know turn the knobs on things uh <laughs> i just don't want to risk scratching anything lately so it's almost like i have to listen to it when he's not around at the moment or put it up high or something like that you but, just come uh, home and the little kid is put white out on all your records and coloring on them oh that'd be so funny <laughs> Uh, yeah, let me. Yeah, let me tell you. Uh, all the got to be super cautious whenever we go into my movie room. So, 
Don't don't dent those steel books now. <laughs> no, nope. All right, and then uh, Scream Factory has announced a few new uh, horror Blu-rays collectors editions. One being the Green Inferno, which I believe was a secret screening at Fantastic Fest a while ago, where people were just yeah. not happy about that at all. But uh, I like the movie. You know, it's basically Cannibal Holocaust, but with Eli Roth doing it. Uh, but yeah, Green Inferno finally coming out on collector's edition. And then you have the Boris Karloff, Bella Lugosi collection, bad ass and the brain. Um, very excited about this stuff. Yeah. Like, um, as I talked about in episodes past about getting into like some of the classics, uh, like the Christopher Lee film, Dracula films, it'll just be nice to kind of, revisit or go back and see some of these films that I have never seen before. And, uh, yeah, I always get, uh, pretty excited about these, uh, movie collections that screen factory puts out. Cause I liked, uh, the Vincent price collections that they put out. And so it's just nice to kind of revisit or watch for the first time, these movies that have been iconic or have made a big impact, uh, on the genres that, um, they're set in. So, uh, the, the Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi collection is going to include uh, Black Cat, The Raven, Invisible Ray, and Black Friday. I have not seen any of those, admittedly, and so I'm uh, naturally excited about that. Yeah, no, the, these are uh, – I'm just glad that Scream Factory is putting out all of these and – uh, be damn good, damn good. Um, before yeah. we move into bloody questions, I want to bring up a movie I watched and got to talk to people uh, about recently. Uh, the movie is called Pledge, and it is so much fun. Preston, I want you to see this movie. Okay. Uh, Pledge, not to be confused with The Pledge with Jack Nicholson and everybody else in the world. Uh, this is a very fast-paced, straight-to-the-point horror movie and is super fun. It's going to be tough to find such a fun horror movie in 2019 that is not afraid to get sticky and is just fast-paced. But, uh, yes, yeah, so basically Pledge is kind of like Hostel meets the Skulls. Um, and then I would imagine that the people in this, like – this fraternity because it centers around like a fraternity are like, they would grow up to be the people at eyes wide shut uh, party. Uh, but <laughs> pledge starts out with uh, three, three kind of like geeky kids going to college. They're freshmen and they're looking to pledge. Nobody wants them cause they're kind of geeky. And then unless like this really hot girl tells them, Hey, come to this party pledge here they go there and they have the night of their lives and the uh people who are in the fraternity say hey if you liked it come back tonight we'll initiate you they go back and then holy shit it is insane just the amount of torture and stuff that goes on i mean people don't they don't make it out alive so it is it is hardcore and like you think of this movie you see it and you're like oh it's gonna be terrible no it's actually really good and it's really well made uh, director daniel robbins writer and actor zach weiner and then producer mark rapaport i had the pleasure of talking with them for a while it is on 
the My Bloody Podcast Network. And uh, yes, it is super fun. Um, you should definitely check this out because they go to some really great places. It is super fast paced. There's no going off a of side uh, side tangents or anything. It's just something you're going to want to see if you like the horror genre and something like, oh shit, this is what I want in like an early year horror movie. So, Preston, you should watch this, sir. Cool. Got um, it noted. Yes. And uh, is there anything else you're watching right now that you want to quickly tell people about before we move on? Um, yeah, sure. There's one that I've watched recently. It's not a horror film per se. It's it's a action film um, called Nemesis. Have you ever seen it? Nemesis. It? Is that not Star Trek Nemesis, right? No, no. It's it's got Olivier Gunner in it. Grunner. Okay, I don't remember the movie Nemesis, but uh I'm looking at a okay, Nemesis from the nineties, right? Uh yes. I thought it was the the eight yeah, ninety two. Okay. So um I I think I remember seeing this back a long time ago, but it's been so long I don't remember anything about it, but it looks very familiar. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, just last year, I watched Cyborg with John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> that so, movie, does, same director. Okay, yeah. That, that movie, I remember watching Cyborg like many times growing up, and watching it today just barely holds up. <laughs> oh no, it doesn't hold up at all. But uh, there's like it, it's it's weird. Like so, this movie is the same way, um, where it's very like kind of it's very nonsensical the dialogue is very shitty the characters aren't great and so you're probably wondering like why am i recommending this uh bringing it up at all but um i i kind of like cyborg um uh just because i feel like that director was trying to achieve something like almost otherworldly like uh i've mentioned before on here that there's just some horror movies that you see out there where you're just like wondering like how the hell did all these people involved think that this was a good idea and and you kind of get that same feeling here but what makes it worth watching aside from a very young Thomas Jane being in it uh is uh the action itself it just it just seems like it was an excuse for these filmmakers to just they it's like they crammed in like all the greats like Blade Runner, Terminator, RoboCop, um every buddy cop uh, police film, just like any shootout films and they just like watched all those and are like let's make our own. And that's how this one is and the the action scenes themselves are super creative, especially with the camera. So I've I watched the extras for this film, which is just a you know the director interviews and like a producer interview, and they're talking about how, um, uh, which kind of goes back to the interview that I did uh, with Larry Cohen, where he's made films where they just had movie sets and they just needed to just create a movie for it um, because they didn't want it to go to waste. Uh, it's, it's not exactly that, but they've f- like found all these locations around the world um, where for instance, they have like this old mill uh, like all these warehouses that were just completely abandoned. There's just 
just in complete ruin and they could do whatever the hell they wanted with it and uh, didn't have to clean it up. And so uh, Terminator, I think, I think it's the first Terminator, they used it. And um, so the, uh, these filmmakers came in and just are just shooting like the biggest guns you've ever seen and explosions. And they're just <laughs> jumping out of windows. And there's like a, a shot where uh, they're, they're like firing a gun, you know, like CG today, they would, you know, like want it or something. You like follow the bullet as it enters people's bodies. Uh, but you, you know, it's a CGI bullet um, here. Like they like, it's got kind of like a, um, hardcore henry kind of feel like where it's the energy of it is just very kinetic and so they'll they'll speed up the camera to make it look like it the camera's the bullet as it hits like somebody's back and then there's like even a scene where uh ah oh, what's that guy's name he's in uh return of the living dead uh both of them not the old guy but the young one that's also in jason lives oh uh, i can't remember his name right now not yeah uh, but but yeah. that kid he's older now and he's like one of the villains in the film that's like chasing uh, Olivier down, who's essentially like John Claude Van Damme meets Peter Weller, um, <laughs> except he talks like Dolph Lundgren um, back in the day. Um, so um, he, he he looks like Peter Weller, but uh, he's a martial arts guy. So there's John Claude Van Damme for you. And, uh, so yeah, he, he's fighting off with, uh, that guy from return of the living dead and they're, they're fighting down a mudslide. They're just going down the slide, shooting at each other. And the camera is like, uh, going down the slide with them. And so it's just there, it's like mission impossible fallout or something. Cause I just watched all these extras for it. And it's just the, the links that they go to, to do things practically, and stunts and so you just don't get that a lot and it seems like there's a bigger movement being made now to to bring that back into the picture and so um it's just it was just nice to find this film that kind of plays like a it makes me a 40 year old virgin when he's uh, fast forwarding through the porno where he's like, ah, I want to watch the story. You don't want to watch the sex. Uh, but, but essentially this is like a porn film in that all you care about is the action and all the dialogue. You're like, Ugh. and then, so luckily there's a lot of action in it. So I just really wanted to recommend it, even though it's not a horror film, but it's just like a, a shitty action movie that has really good action in it. Um, so I guess a shitty film, great action. So well, interestingly enough, there's been five Nemesis movies. <laughs> yeah, and so the the this uh, particular copy that I got, which came from the MVD Rewind Collection, and as I've said before, love those guys because they create box art that uh, reflects like VHS films. So they have like right. the stickers on them that say three day rental, blah blah. blah. Um, and so this movie is very much like a movie that you would only find on VHS. And so MVD rewind collection is actually going to their next one that's coming out later this year, 
is going to be Nemesis two, three, and four. So wow, yeah, it's it's insane. And there, there's all, and then supposedly there's been talk about doing a cyborg Nemesis with a cyborg crossover with Nemesis, which is really uh, w- w- that would be great because the the movies are so similar. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, so. I, I don't know. It was interesting watching this and uh, especially after watching movies like last year, like upgrade um, where you're like, man, this is so fascinating. The idea of, you know, people putting machine parts on them to like enhance their w- way of life. And uh, this movie deals with that. Um, but it also deals with like a cyborg uh, or a guy that's like half, he's like a certain percentage of uh rogue, uh, machine versus human. So think RoboCop in that uh, RoboCop is mostly machine, but yet he has his conscious. And so he's uh, trying, he's wrestling with his humanity a little bit. He, he's thinking that maybe I shouldn't be this way or think this way and I should be doing this. And so it wrestles with those, those same things. So it feels like a huge knockoff of a lot of things. Uh, uh, like Blade Runner because they can't tell like who's human and who's machine. And so, and it's like machines wanting to eliminate humans entirely because they're destroying the world. And, um, this, this would just be the, a, a great big battle. And so, but on a small scale, cause it's not, it doesn't have like big sets, like futuristic sets or retro futuristic sets like Blade Runner because they have like these old warehouses. And that's how a cyborg is, too. It's kind of like they just made like a futuristic apocalyptic kind of movie in the same vein as Mad Max, but they're making it work. And so uh, if this guy just directed things and didn't write them, it would be so cool. So I I just had a great time watching this, even though the dialogue's really bad. Sounds good, man. Check out Nemesis and Pledge, which is on VOD and theaters this week as well. Um, and somehow we still have room later in this episode to talk about bloody recommendations, <laughs> even though that seems like our <laughs> bloody recommendations anyway. It's true. Um, <laughs> on to bloody questions. My bloody question. Preston, you have a fun bloody question. Why don't you give it to us? Yeah, so um, – like, what is the thing that's most baffling thing that has happened in a horror film that, or a character decision where you're, where you're like, why the fuck did you do that? Um, or, you know, where it could have been like a good path, like, oh, this is just great. And then they do one thing and it pisses you off and it almost ruins it. So, uh, what is that moment or moments for you? So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a difficult question for me because there's like definitely one in mind but if this didn't happen we wouldn't have the movie. Yeah. But it's Evil Dead and when they start reading the goddamn Necronomicon passage especially in like the remake version yeah. uh where it's like barbed wired shut and there's bags all over it and there's literally like millions like all of those red flags and yeah you're not picking them up and there's millions of signs that said do not read this do not open this and the fucking guy does and you're just like 
what, why? And like, if you find this book and why would you start reading a language and why would you just keep going with it? Like, I don't get it. It's, it's, it's puzzling to me. I know we wouldn't get the movie if this didn't happen, but I just, you know, if I see an old book and then there's some like shit that's like, Oh, this is written in blood and there's some demon shit. I'm out. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to open it. It's, it's good. I would not be in the cabin. So that's the most puzzling thing for me. Although I'm glad it happened because we get Ash and everybody else. And that, that, that's the most puzzling thing for me. And especially in that remake where there's just like literally it's barbed wire shut. It's like, do not read this. And the dude fucking reads it. And I just, I can't get it out of my head. Why he reads it. I don't get it. But Preston, what about you? Yeah, because humans are just curious cats and, and, <laughs> well, and dumb, apparently. Or, or at least that's how a lot of horror films and films in general paint us. True. That's why, that's why we call one of my whiskers. favorite moments that we've ever had in cinema recently, especially from horror, was in Get Out when, when Lakeith Stanfield's just walking down that sidewalk in a white suburban uh, area, and then he's walking down the street, and then he sees like it's almost like he's talking along with the audience where the audience is like oh dude just turn around and he turns around <laughs> so Which is uh, great <laughs> yeah so it, it's nice that we're, we're beginning to see uh this also become a movement of i guess horror characters beginning to become smarter especially in mainstream films um but yeah uh i've brought up this one before so i'll say it quickly um, the the doggy door moment from Scream with Rose McGowan, I I still hate that moment just because I really think that uh, I don't know why she thought that she would fit through that thing and and then survive. So when there's like so many weapons to fight back with, and it's a big frustration with me in a lot of horror films in general where they where it's just like they characters don't put up a, a fight. It's like they they're just waiting to die, and so I want I like it. In horror movies where they fight back like they're it's almost like is this really happening to me and they're just a deer stuck in headlights but then again never been in that situation so who knows like how i may it could be natural for me to freeze up like that and just make dumb decisions so i don't know but i would like to think that if i was ever in that situation i would act smarter please don't do that don't anybody listening don't put me in that situation <laughs> Put them in that situation, folks. We'll want to no. see what happens. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that was one moment. But I think the biggest one for me, at least the one that popped in my head right away when I was thinking about the question, was uh, in Saw, the original Saw, the first one, very end of the movie, where he's trying to reach for the phone. And then he thinks that the, the best thing that he can do is, you know, do what the, the title hints at. And what we're dreading that he'll do, which is saw off his leg to free himself. And he does that instead of because but because you see in the shot of him just another arm's length and he would have the phone, but he has the saw and the saw (laughs) has like, you know, it's it's round so you can grab shit with it. So he could have grabbed the phone and then it would have been fine. But uh, now he. Because the movie needed that to happen and to be iconic, he saws off his leg. So, man, that's great. And then he appears again many movies later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
saw. Okay, bloody questions. Let us know what the dumbest moment of a character uh, decision is in a horror movie. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And maybe uh, I'll post this on Reddit, and hopefully next week we can ha- come back with some more. Uh, read some. Read yeah, some or stuff. you can yeah email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail.com. Yes, let us know. Let us know. Um, all right. Should we do quick bloody recommendations? Yes, quickly. Do you want me to go first? Uh, if you'd like to, that's fine. All right. Quick bloody recommendations. Uh, going off the movie Pledge, which I really enjoyed, uh, there is a movie from 1981 called Hell Night. And it is a super ridiculous yeah. movie that has a big horror cult following now. Have you seen it? Mm. Oh, yeah. I got that Scream Factory. Yeah, it came out, I think, early last year, like the same time this year, uh, last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like January. But, yeah, it's uh, it's produced by Erwin Yablins, who did, like, Halloween 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yes, this uh, movie is quite fun. Uh, Hell Night stars Linda Blair, the little, the little Reagan girl from Exorcist. And it's basically about a uh, college costume party and uh, frat parties throwing this huge bash and uh, stuff like that. And then the this frat kind of moves in next to this uh, uh, big – oh, no, they, they're – sorry. I'm getting my movies mixed up. They, they uh, have these pledges and they have the pledges spend the night, I believe, in this, uh, yeah. this old house that was uh, supposedly haunted. And then – we find out throughout the movie kind of like the history and what went on with the house. And that kind of alludes to who like this killer is who's killing all these people who are either having sex or pull, pulling pranks and stuff throughout the movie. Uh, but the movie really didn't do well. Everybody hated it. However, it made decent money at the box office, but it's just kind of so silly. It's ridiculous nowadays that people really grow to love it as a cult film. Um, but yeah, that is um, that is Hell Night in a nutshell, where uh, a guy, a, a serial killer guy, is killing a bunch of college students. Which you know, if you see a bunch of frat guys being horrible and ridiculous, you know, you're just like, oh, well, they meet their end. Okay. <laughs> so, did you like it, Preston? I did like it. Uh, my wife and I watched it together last year, and um, yeah, I like the idea of, uh, of of that whole situation of a frat having this like kind of dare um, for people to spend the night in this haunted house, and then uh, the the douchebags that are leading the frat are like kind of orchestrating the whole thing. Like they're doing all the hauntings to try to scare these people out of it. And it ends up like real stuff going on. Like it it just kind of plays with that idea. Oh, is this real or is this fake or, and so I like that idea. And I also think, um, uh, the movie doesn't get a lot of credit for the kind of conversations that these characters have with each other. I think some of them, like, you know, they put, they lean into the, stereotypes and cliches that we get from movies like Friday the 13th where characters have sex. But I think, uh, there's like, I think Linda Blair and the the person that she's paired with, uh, they have like some really deep conversations and I just was not expecting that. And so I think, um, the movie maybe doesn't balance. It's, uh, you know, deeper, 
uh, I guess the serious moments with the goofy moments. And it could have been a great film if it had just leaned into one and not the other. But, um, I think it's a pretty, a pretty solid film, like a, like a B minus, like a three out of five. So I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. It's fun. There's some good decapitations. There's a pitchfork. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty ridiculous, but yeah. Uh, young Linda Blair still, uh, Erwin Yablins and Tom DeSimone directed it. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, something you should, uh, check out. It is on Scream Factory and it's a fairly, you know, recent Scream Factory release. So yeah, check yeah, it out. yeah, you should, you should be, should be able to find it pretty easy. Uh, yeah, mine, oddly enough, has hell in the title as well called Hellfest. Hellfest. Uh, that came out last year and it has oh, Tony yes. Todd in it for yes. a little bit, but. But I was really excited about this uh, just because I like the the idea of it, which is something that I, I go to a lot of a lot of haunted houses, uh, or I have been to a lot of haunted houses in my in my time, and uh, I, I try to go every Halloween. And the one I go to is a is a big theme park, and so when you go into these haunted houses, you know you have to lean into the idea of just like it's almost like you're acting in an environment. Like you got to pretend that you're scared and then you'll be scared. You got to pretend that these people are real and they jump out and scare you. So, um, but, but sometimes like when you're walking around you think, man, what if, um, like somebody actually killed you in one of these things. And because, uh, especially these ones, uh, nowadays where you have to sign like a waiver and they can touch you and it's getting more extreme, so they're trying to take it to the next level to make it even more scarier than just, you know, all right, here's here's props and designs. and Because um, when, when you look through them all, you're like, man, it's a lot of hard work to put all this up. But at the same time, you're like, well, it looks good, but I wasn't scared during that last 25 feet. Um, so with this film, it deals with that whole idea of, of uh, people going into, or in this case, one person goes in to murder people in this haunted house. And so because it's so hands-on, uh, when somebody is getting hurt, they think it's all an act. The people who are walking by, they think, oh, man, that looks really real and scary, and they move on. And so that's what this deals with. But uh, so – uh, specifically, it is about a group of teenagers who go into this haunted theme park called Hellfest. And uh, I got it on 4K. So the colors and the look is just incredible. Like, I can't, like, if this, I don't know if it really exists or not, Hellfest. I haven't even looked into it. But uh, I imagine there are haunted houses out there that are on the same level where yeah, it's called it's, Mc- just... it's called McCamey Manor. Okay. Look it up if you. They did a they did a documentary on it called Haunters. Yeah, I wanted to see that, but and I didn't get to see it. McCamey Manor is insane. I would not recommend anybody going through that. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it looks incredible, especially on film, because it, it looks like. Uh, like if, uh, I don't know, Joel Schumacher directed a haunted house or something or put it together. Cause it has like a lot of neon lights and looks really good on uh, 4k. So really good color palette. 
And um, the way that they shoot it, so I should probably mention that the director of this film, I think his name is Gregory Plotkin, um, he uh, is he actually edited the film Get Out, and he edited like the paranormal sequels, like two, three, four, five. Uh, he directed the Ghost, Ghost Dimension, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but uh, I like parts of it. And so this one, I think it's pretty fun overall. Um, uh, it has some really good moments. Uh, there's a there's a moment in a bathroom stall that uh, you know after watching uh, the 2018 Halloween right. uh, recently again has that that bathroom scene in it. But I think this one's a little bit better. <laughs> so um, there's some really good moments in it, and uh, j- I guess just that whole idea of just again you know real not real. Um, people walking by and just thinking so that that was clever to me like they they'll just do all these things and the crowd think oh my god this looks real and then somebody's actually getting murdered and if there's a body laying there they think man that's, that looks really good and then they get away with it and so um i think i would have i would have liked if the movie especially these characters uh, the teenage characters that are in the film and they talk like teenage characters. So really awkward. And it's almost like if eighth grade, the movie eighth grade weaved its way into here. <laughs> so it's, it's like, you're, you're like grinding your teeth cause it's so awkward. And you're like, God, I, I, I wish it was a little more cinematic and not so real to life, uh, true to life. And so that bothered me a little bit, but I, that's fine if they're going for realism. But uh, also, like when it comes to characters fighting back, they don't do it in in the way that I want it to. I, for the one moment that I'll probably ever bring up um, Death Proof that Quentin Tarantino did with the ending being characters beating the shit out of somebody, I wanted that from this. And so I just wanted... Uh, you know, not the, you know, you hit the killer once and then you walk away kind of thing because obviously the killer, we've seen enough horror movies to know that killer is going to get back up. So uh, it does do some stupid things every now and then, but <clears throat> the production value and the look on 4K and uh, the camera work, the way that it does like uh, it blurs certain things and the way that they handle the killer is pretty cool. And how the movie ends, the last moment of the movie, is very chilling. Um, so they could keep going with this. And so I, just that last moment just kind of blew me away in a very small way. But um, so, yeah, Hellfest. Uh, you should be able to find it in uh, any store like Walmart or Target. And uh, I would recommend 4K because it looks really good. Sweet deal. So Hellfest and Hell Night. Yeah. Good double feature. Um, Good stuff. Good bloody recommendations. Let us know what your recommendation is if you have one this week. Again, mybloodypodcast at gmail.com. But on to our main event, one of my favorite movies of all time, one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Uh, Power of the night. (laughs) Streets are calling. Uh, Critters, 1986, April 11th. This movie came out, made money. So good. Spawn three sequels finally came out on Blu-ray via Scream Factory. All the films. Uh, this movie directed by a guy named Stephen Herrick, who is a Texas native, born in San Antonio, went to UT Austin. 
And if you don't know who Stephen Herrick, holy shit, you should, because he did a ton of great movies. He directed Critters, which was his first movie. He then went on to do Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, The Mighty Ducks, The Three Musketeers, Mr. Holland's Opus, and the live-action 101 Dalmatians, in addition to Rockstar, Man of the House. I mean, holy shit, this guy yeah. had some of the best, like, 80s, 90s movies. <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. So his first thing was Critters, and it's just, it's so good. And it's, what's good about Critters is that it, it's actually PG-13, or mm-hmm. is it PG? I can't remember. Um, I see, I, I don't know what the ratings said, but when I watched the documentary, they kept saying PG-13. Yeah, so yeah, it's PG-13, and uh, it's, but it's like, it's like a wholesome country family, you know, normal type stuff. It's very rural house. It's a very loving family. Uh, and then, you know, aliens from outer space, which are called critters, come down, and these critters are like little furballs, but they're very deadly. They eat everything. They kill you. They have poisonous spines that shoot out like fast darts. Uh, and it's just – it's kind of like a kid, a young kid, teenage kid, and like the town idiot save the day. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like so much more going on because there's like – you know, alien life in outer space and uh, how it all works. Billy Zane makes an appearance. It's just, it's really fun to go through this movie again, and especially in 1080p. But yeah, I mean, we can go through all of these movies, but we're just going to go through Critters 1. And it's just, I, I don't know. What, what do you think about this movie? Do you love it as much as I do, Preston? I do. Um, it's, uh, it's, Honestly, um, I think I watch. I remember watching Critters three a lot as a kid. Uh, not just because of Leonardo DiCaprio, but just because it was just uh, easier to f- it, maybe not easier to find, but it was just it was just on a lot as I can remember. It's probably cheaper for networks to put that out. But um, I uh, went and rented the first two before the third one and enjoyed them, but. So it has been a it's been a grip since I've seen the first one, and so yeah, getting that Scream Factory collection was just awesome. And watching the extra materials, like there's a really long documentary in the film where it's it's great. Yeah, so yeah, it's like a 75 minute documentary, all new with interviews. Yeah, Kyoto Brothers. Yes. Yeah, it's it was great. It's, Um, It's super cool, but like about this movie, like you think about it. And there's just so much more going on here because, it, you know, like, again, a small, quiet, very rural country town. And then all of a sudden you have these alien life forms, critters. But then you also have other alien ba- life forms, yeah, bounty hunters. hunters, that can shapeshift to anything. And one of the guy, one of the shapeshifters who has, like, a blank face uh, transforms into a rock god, Terrence Mann, Power of the Night. Johnny Steele. Johnny Steele. And then the other one just can't figure out who he wants to be yet, so he goes through a few other people and then ends up on the town idiot Charlie. But they have all this really cool technology throughout the film. Uh, and, like, the way they talk, it's just – it's so good, and their outfits are amazing. Um, it's it, like this plays – 
a part in the rest of the films, but the transformation sequence is so cool because you see the skull and the goo and the plasma and the blood like kind of come up and create the face. It's, it's kind of badass. What would you say? Yeah, um, I think that's why I really liked uh, that documentary that they put out because um, I'm a very meticulous film watcher and I like to like see how these things are done, especially after it's been a while since I've seen these kind of movies that were done practically and involve puppets. And I want to see how they were done and how they achieved some of these uh, action scenes or when they're caught on fire, explode and uh, chasing people around, rolling like a ball, just want to see how it's done. And so uh, that that uh, increases my excitement for the film because I just like to know like how these things were done. And uh, and uh, <clears throat> I guess to kind of go back to something that we were talking about earlier about the idea of it could have been a story like a lot of other movies where it is just like one family and then these creatures come in and then wreak havoc and then that's all you have. But this movie has more to its story, surprisingly. And I, I remember watching the uh, Siskel and Ebert review where they were talking about like how much they enjoyed it because it wasn't just that they had this whole other thing where it's just like these humans are like kind of caught between this war, which is not really a war, but it's just like people trying to retrieve their prisoners and, or not people, but aliens trying to retrieve their prisoners. And so, um, and yeah, they're just kind of caught between it and trying to help. And so, uh, just having that whole other element, I just did not expect it, uh, revisiting it because I was anticipating something where it's just like well, a, a fam, yeah. a family. And then, and then these creatures coming in and then that's all you have. Well, if and, you actually put in critters and you watch it, the first like five, 10 minutes of that movie are like completely star Wars yeah. because it's like yeah. all on a spaceship and like weird fucking alien creatures and all yeah, over the throw place. you for a loop. If you're not expecting that at all, you're like, what, what is this? Like, I was not expecting to have like this, this sort of exposition. You almost, it, it should in like another film start in a way where it's just alien, like this ship lands on earth and then, and then shit happens uh, kind of like the new predator or something like that. But um, there's, there's just more going on in uh, the interactions or the dynamic between uh, the bounty hunters is great and funny at times, uh, especially with what you were saying about one of the guys not can't quite figure out who he wants to be. And, and, um, but yeah, the, how kind of like what I was saying with nemesis and how they, uh, I'm fascinated with how they achieve these sorts of things. It was just really cool to kind of just imagine like what they could have done to do to achieve certain scenes. And so, um, to see like the documentary where they show like them puppeteering or cutting, a little slit in a table to show them running or creating these little mechanical balls or that operate like bowling balls where you throw them. In. And so just like all that stuff, just uh, the practical uh, aspect to the film uh, just makes it better to me, uh, makes it more tangible and feels more real, gives the movie proper stakes and feels tangible. And so uh, 
in the characters, like the, the human characters, the family dynamic is pretty great. Even though I would say that the, the kids, like, you know, a lot of movies like E.T. or Stranger Things where the kids are doing more of the legwork than the parents are. But um, like whenever like a sis- the sister's like in trouble or the son's in trouble, it's always like the other sibling going to go help them first before the parents. When if my kid was in trouble dealing with aliens, I would be like, oh, fuck, you know, I don't care if my kneecap is hanging out. I'm going to stuff it back in and go help my kid. And so um I guess that's a little bit of an issue, but, uh, it's so, it's so much fun. Like there's just a lot of enjoyment that can be had with a movie like this. And, um, so yeah, I, I think it's a great time. Good. Good. Yeah. Me, me too. It's super, just, it's, you watch it and it's like, kind of like almost a warm feeling of the family. And then just like the act, the acting in it is like surprisingly really good. There's actually some pretty gory moments and like some very suspenseful scenes, but like the whole lore behind critters is so much fun. And I'm glad they made three other movies like critters two, which is kind of like an Easter movie. <laughs> and then critters three set in the city with Leo DiCaprio's first film. And then critters four in space, which is really fun. Funny. Uh, but yeah, Critters 1, man, it just doesn't get any better than that. We, we see a very young Billy Zane get killed, which is great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the documentary, it was fun when they were talking about uh, dealing with the MPA, MP, MPA about uh, like getting the, the rating that they, they wanted, which was a PG-13. Uh, when it comes to Billy Zane being killed in the movie, like he gets his fingers bit off first and, um, they couldn't, they, the MPA didn't have problems with him showing Billy Zane's getting his fingers cut off, but they can't show the teeth actually going into the flesh. And so they had to do like a jump cut. And so it was just cool, like them talking about like all the things that they had to do, which was not their initial plan, but they had to change it up to earn the rating that they needed. And sometimes it ended up being better than they expected. Um, so, uh, yeah, really good effects and um, surprisingly pretty thrilling for a PG-13 movie. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty damn good. Uh, we got to talk about the soundtrack. Uh, which yeah. I actually have it on vinyl. The original motion picture soundtrack on vinyl, very difficult to find, but it absolutely has power of the night on it. And then it has the very end song of the movie, similar to monster squad. There's a critters rap on it, <laughs> yeah. which is really funny. Like the rap song critters. It's great. Uh, but yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's a good damn movie. And I'm just so glad finally this came out on Blu-ray because it's been because you haven't really been able, I think, to find it on uh, online or it's not available on Netflix or Hulu or anything. So thank you, Scream Factory. Good God. Yeah. I also want to talk about the ending of the film. Um, yeah, there's an alternate the doc- ending. Yeah, alternate ending. Yeah, because the the documentary shows that the they did a test screening of the film and it ends in a way where, you know, the, they, they fly off and then they're, they're fine. They survived the incident, but their house has been blown up and it, it almost ends it on a, like a, a sad moment. And so, um, they changed it. Like, I guess one person said, you know, it'd be really cool if that little device that, the Johnny Steele guy. Yeah. 
gives the kid uh, causes the house like he could press it and then it causes the house to go be put back together. And so they built a model just like the house that had blown up and uh, they, they do like a reverse where you get to see like the house be put back together and the way that it it's just done is kind of amazing. Um, so, um, so it ends in like a happy way. They get their house back, but the, the, the way that they even shoot it and they show like the characters watching it happen, uh, where you get to see the house in the, in the background be put back together. It's just, uh, like on a technical level, it's just pretty amazing. So I think like, even like on a technical level, the movie can be appreciated. Uh, like the, the way that the story goes, which goes against your expectations is fun and the characters are fun. So it's just a all around enjoyable film. It really and is. They're they're doing the re- Sci-Fi Channel is doing the remake I think this year, and <clears throat> and I think when we talked about it in uh, episodes past about um, our worry of that because of you know you look at Sci-Fi Channel and they do like Sharknado and it has that those shitty kind of effects that work for movies like that's called Sharknado. But for something like this, when it, you already have a, a, a perfectly good film, and then you got you want to bring it back in the spotlight to make it hot again, um, you really hope that you have somebody there that is going to bring that puppet aspect to it. And so that's what I'm hoping for. Right, because the Kyoto Brothers did the puppets; they also did yeah. the Killer Clowns from Outer Space movie. Yeah. So they know what they're doing. They're still doing like practical stuff like that, which is cool. So you hope you're, they're not little CG fur balls running around because it would be terrible, especially if sci-fi is behind it. But uh, do the puppet stuff. This is what what the movies are really about. I like the practical stuff. They look great. So yes, critters, get the box set, please. It's worth all of your time. Uh, to relieve these movies. But yes, I believe that brings an end to our 33rd episode of My Bloody Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Preston, I believe we have to tease something for our next episode next week, right? Yes. So with um, Glass coming out, uh, we thought it'd be fun to revisit the entire Unbreakable trilogy of Unbreakable, 2001's Unbreakable, Split, and then glass. And so we'll be doing a triple feature episode. Um, it's going to be good because we've been hearing stuff about glass. That's not all yeah. great. However, I have faith in Shyamalan with this series that he's going to do it right. Even though people is not what they expect. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully we're going to be excited about it. Um, I just, Oh, good God, man. <laughs> I hope he doesn't fuck this up. Cause I'm breakable and split are so good. Yeah, uh, I'm sure uh, I haven't like read the reviews. I've seen the headlines, and so the the it seems like the people who are liking it are being very generous, and the people who hate it are just who they they love Unbreakable so much and they enjoyed Split for its twist of being part of that universe, and then uh, it, it's just. It's a it's a big moment in cinema history to kind of see these characters uh, come together again uh, in what uh, Shyamalan can do with a limited budget. Um, 
because we've seen what he can do with a lot of money and it doesn't go very well. And so I, I, I'm just rooting for him. I think they prematurely back in when he made six cents and unbreakable said that he was going to be the next Spielberg. And then, I mean, we saw how his career went. And so just, uh, I am just, uh, I'm excited regardless. I feel like I've been saying excited all across this board episode, but, um, I, I think sometimes it helps to know when maybe the movies doesn't live up to expectations. You can go in, with the open mind and enjoy it for what he's trying to achieve. And so, um, I am going to do just that, go in with open mind and enjoy it. And I'm going to fresh up, uh, <clears throat> my memory with unbreakable and split beforehand. I know James Cole clay, who we should probably have on the episode next week. Cause he's going to see, uh, the, the triple feature that they're going to have that Alamo's putting on this weekend. So he's going to see it before us, and cause I think we're going to go see it on Tuesday at the press screen, but, <clears throat> uh, either way, whatever it winds up being, it'll be fun to dissect it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Uh, but yeah, check us out. Uh, my bloody podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher radio, uh, we're on there. We're on boomstick comics. Uh, we're on fresh fiction. Uh, we're all there. Where Preston can they find you? Good, sir. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Preston Barta, um, B-A-R-T-A, although I'm not as alive on there as I am on Instagram where I'm all, where I'm posting pictures of m- cool movies that I've got recently or ones that I have on the shelf that I want to bring to people's attention because I'm doing what I say at the end of all my Instagram posts, which is hashtag keep physical media alive. <laughs> um <clears throat> So uh, you can find my fun posts on there in between all my pictures with my son and my dog and my wife and other good stuff. Um, so same there, Preston Barta. Um, my writing you can find on Ditton, D-E-N-T-O-N-R-C.com. Uh, that's for Ditton, Texas. I write for the paper out in Ditton, Texas. And uh, you can find my th- weekly theatrical reviews, although – as I mentioned, the only thing I've seen recently is a dog weighs home and I'm not reviewing that, but I am doing an interview piece that you can find, uh, this weekend. Um, and then I'm also the features editor, at freshfiction.tv where, uh, I guess, uh, I, I hope I'm not like tooting my own horn here, but, uh, for, for the site, but, uh, the site's been doing pretty well. Um, just this past weekend on the Golden Globes, uh, one of our writers, Courtney Howard, she wrote the review for Bird Box, and they played a trailer for Bird Box during the Golden Globes, and her her quote made it into the uh, preview that was on during the Globes, and like the first one that pops up, and it's just been nice that the site's been uh, getting this uh, recognition lately. Um, very grateful to have Courtney Howard on our team. And now James Cole clay is rotten tomatoes certified and he's been having his reviews pop up on there and getting recognition. So things are looking pretty good for fresh TV. So if uh, you haven't checked out the site, we're not, we're not super busy. We're not posting things like all the time 
um, we all have lives and are busy, but we find time to talk about the things that we're interested in, which is a lot of the movies that are coming out and Blu-rays and things like that. So if uh, that interests you, uh, whatever genre you're interested in, we're, we're covering it. So check it out, freshfiction.tv. going to be awesome. going to be very cool. It's a great site. Go there and listen to our podcast, and we will be back next week. Thank you to Preston Barta. You're welcome.